Slanshavar. Welcome to Starry Sky and Witchy Things. I'm Alexis, your host, and in truth, I did not plan to wish you good health on Burns Night and talk about healing here on the podcast. And you know it's like it's me that we're talking about. If I planned the episode knowing it was going to be out on the 25th of January, it'd be about Robbie Burns and the early romantics relationship to nature or something. Basically, if you're new here, welcome. I just told you all you need to know about this podcast. We geek out about dead people. Namely, this season we've been studying Renaissance magic a little more deeply with the esoteric classic, The Three Books of Occult Philosophy. This episode, however, will be a little more personal, as I want to talk about shadow work and my realization over time that I needed to rethink healing in case that is of help to you. If you feel stuck in a cycle of feeling broken and never good enough, and how you can't just find the thing to heal to break the cycle that is keeping you in your circumstances that you don't want, I think it will. However, even if you can't relate to this, I hope this will give you food for thought. And anyway, the second half of the episode will be looking at the astrological weather of the next two weeks, since today we have the full moon in Leo. And if this is your first annual segment, I highlight the key transits and what you can do with them in your life and in your practice, and then full tarot for the community. And I'm going to make a note in Riverside when I record. So we have the um, timestamp in case you want to jump ahead for some reason. But I hope you will stick around for the full episode. Before I start, a disclaimer, I am not a medical professional and these should not be considered medical or psychological advice. The content of this podcast is for information purposes only. And the host of this podcast, that is me, will not be held liable for the use that the listener makes with this information. So, rethinking healing. In season one, I dedicated a whole episode to shadow work, which is working with your unconscious mind to uncover the parts of yourself that you repress and hide from yourself and from others. And it's episode eight and will be linked to in the show notes. The idea behind why it's important is summed up in a quote from Carl Jung, the psychologist who popularized the idea of shadow in the 20th century, which is, until you make the unconscious conscious, it will rule your life and you will call it fate. So this process of self-exploration is meant to integrate ourselves into the original wholeness that we were born with, unless you buy into the Christian worldview that we are born with original sin. I don't think the idea of needing to integrate is problematic per se, but one thing that I have come to realize is that if we start from the premise that something is wrong, we are more likely to create a feedback loop about things being wrong. Obviously, I'm not suggesting that illnesses are not a thing, and you can think yourself out of medical care. They are a thing, and you need medical care, both for physical and mental health. It may be medications, it may be therapy of some kind, it could be alternative therapies, and they are valuable tools too. Just be wise about it. 
What I mean is that so much of the spiritual space is focused on helping us unblock something. And I believe that often the idea we have a block is what's blocking us. In Book 7 of The Republic, Greek philosopher Plato wrote the allegory of the cave, which is commonly known in spirituality. Namely, the idea that without a higher gnosis that is mystical in nature for Plato already, we believe that the shadows we see against the wall of the cave are reality, when in fact reality is the people that they don't see being there because of the chains that stop them from being able to move their heads. The belief we have a block can become the chain, keeping us from seeing the reality beyond the shadows. This is something that came to me as I took part in a six-week CBT program, that is Cognitive Behavioural Therapy. This therapy modality is focused on how your thoughts, beliefs and attitudes affect your feelings and actions. It doesn't go into details into why you have those thoughts, beliefs and attitudes, and it doesn't work directly on the release of the root like hypnosis-based modalities do, or some of the newer treatments in the trauma space, and it has no somatic component either. Now, allow me to share a part of my story to give you context. Back 10 years ago, I had my first taste of CBT and didn't find it helpful. I found it invalidating of how I felt because while it was what was available to me at the income level I was at, and I'm very grateful to have had such assets, I was someone who grew up completely disconnected from her feelings because I had been invalidated all the time. And at the time, CBT felt like being told to be more positive about circumstances that were objectively problematic. This is not a criticism of my therapist, who was lovely and a very supportive person, but I did not see the shifts that I saw later in time when the modality was more focused on connecting me with how I felt beyond the narratives attached to it. So I returned to therapy in the summer of 2023, And once again, I had a lovely and supportive therapist. But integrity therapy at that point began to feel like I was going around in circles, over and over the same thing. My anxiety did not lessen. And if anything, following a major health scare in the summer, it only got worse. So I put myself forward for another round of CBT. Without going into personal details, a lot of the work, I had to do in my sessions mirrored what I was doing in my magical and manifestation practice where I had been heavily focused on the idea of identity and my self-concept which was the topic of a two-part episode in season three that I will also link in the show notes. There are a number of shifts that I have been undertaking in my life in the past year ever since starting this podcast which itself was the result of a major identity shift. Anyway, one of the concepts in my therapy sessions was the idea that we are more than the stories and labels we have about ourselves. In the same way as we are not our thoughts and our thoughts are... The technical name for this, if you want to look it up, is cognitive diffusion. And the University of Sydney defines it as being about looking at thoughts rather than from them, noticing thoughts rather than getting caught up or buying into the thought, and letting thoughts come and go rather than holding on to the thoughts. Now, this could seem simple enough to many, especially people who have known Eastern philosophy or the writings of people like Eckhart Tolle, 
But as simple as it is, it is a rather fundamental basis of magic that is often overlooked. I don't know if it's to do with people creating content to tell you the what and not the how, and then when you are in their paid program, they will be sharing stuff like this. But going back to the idea of having a blog becoming a blog, what occurred to me is this. Let's take, for example, a money blog. Since I'm the obnoxious girl who talks about how artists should be the richest people on the planet, even how we make life more enjoyable. As a business owner, scarcity is bad enough. But when you are a creative business owner, you are exposed to people who act like we are living in Rent the Musical and it's a badge of honor to be broke for the sake of the purity of your art, like it's Paris in 1892. The reason I didn't pursue my career as a photographer when I was a teenager is that it was presented to me as it costs too much to get into because the gear costs thousands and you're not going to make it back because it's the arts. There's no money in the arts. Just get a proper job and take photos as a hobby. Fast forward 10 years and I find Jenna Kutcher's Gold Digger podcast. And at the time, she still had the line about buying a $300 or $400 camera and growing a six-figure photography business shooting weddings before entering the online space. Now, my first camera cost more than hers, as it was the first ever professional standard DSLR sold at semi-professional price. In the US, it retailed at over $700 for the body alone. So it blew my mind that she bought something of a lower end and made six figures from it. Anyway, let's use there is no money in our career, says the blog. Using cognitive diffusion, it becomes it's a thought that there is no money in our careers. And then I am thinking the thought that there is no money in our careers. Then you can actually carry on, I am thinking the thought that, etc, etc. Then you can let it go, or challenge it, or do whatever step you would take in dismantling a block. If scarcity is just about a thought, and not a reality, and we feel the fear, but do it anyway, then the thought doesn't really matter. It can be as negative as you'd like, but it won't have the energetic frequency to keep us quote-unquote low vibe. It's just a thought. If we were to feel shame around thinking the thought, like, I'm a manifestation girly, I know that money is just an arbitrary concept and I have the power to create it if I opt out of playing the game by rules that are stuck against me, which is the concept of the book Bust Out of the Money Game, which I have actually not read yet myself. But if you are in the money energetic space, it's ubiquitous. So you will have heard it from someone. Anyway, if you start feeling shame because the thought is I shouldn't think those thoughts because I know better than that, that's when it becomes a low bump. I've never been about having to feel happy thoughts or just fill your head with distractions and affirmation 24-7 because if you ever stop pedaling, the bike stops and you fall. It's about holding lightly to the thoughts and the things you are trying to manifest, which means you don't make them coming or going mean anything about you as a person and how you feel about your life. That's more or less what it really means to move from an energy of it's already done. It's an inner sense of worthiness that is not dependent on the outcome of your actions. A lot of manifestation rhetoric is about finding our worthiness because that's one of the main blocks we experience if you have a history of trauma. But something that became obvious to me over the years is that you'll never feel worthy of things if all you do is inner work on it. You are just reinforcing the narrative that you are not good enough yet, which is why I spend a lot of time and energy 
promoting somatic work and making the nervous system feel safe. But reality is, a lot of somatic practice is about bringing the body back to homeostasis when triggered out of balance. And true, a lot of the work at the beginning is handling stuff from your past that is stuck in your body. It's like having a glass of water and it's full to the brim so every new drop, no matter how small a drop is, is going to be enough to overwhelm the glass and spill. But if you're going with therapy or therapy and energy work or whatever modality works for you, you bring the glass to a level of fullness where it can handle the extra water and then the work is to maintain it like that instead of accumulating water again. But we can easily miss out on living life in the quest to make the glass 100% empty before we feel like we are unblocked enough. Meanwhile, lacking a key aspect of harnessing neuroplasticity, which is to fire up a new neural pathway. So I've talked about the science behind manifestation in season three. So if you want the full deep dive, in, it's in the show notes. But the key idea is that our brains can change. And of course, shadow integration is part of changing our whole sense of self and then build habits around it. So as James Clear famously said in Atomic Habits, you do not rise to the level of your goals, you fall to the level of your systems. That's because our brains are designed to learn to do most things automatically without us using the limited mental capacity of our conscious mind to do things we do all the time, like breathing or being jerks to ourselves. Systems in this context of the book is more practical than thought patterns, but it is a practical layer that allows us to use our brain differently, so consistently that the new thought would replace the old automatic habit of thinking. So if you decide that you are not, in fact, blocked by scarcity, you can start building on the idea of having all you need to turn your life around inside you. And what you don't already know will be something you can learn because you don't have a limitation anymore. If you held on to the idea that you have a money block, you'd be focused on unearthing the root of the block, focusing on it, and diverting attention to the block. Therefore, not diverting it to the action you need to take to build up this new identity in your brain, and quite literally with the neuropathway that fire up in your thinking. And the harsh truth is that without building what is ref- effectively a new brain, you will always get the same results. And it takes more than one time of perfect alignment to never shift back into your old ways. And there will always be times when you need to face old stories, resurfacing, because healing is in linear and there is no ending goal in sight. So it's easy to treat this work as one thing you can fix and then everything will be fine. We love a good hero's narrative when we overcome the struggle and we'll be happy ever after. In a way, that's how we approach physical health for things that aren't chronic. You take your meds and you fix the problem. But healing has a secondary definition that I believe is more appropriate for the case of spiritual and emotional distress than the definition of making something healthy again, which is to alleviate a person's distress or anguish. And that's not to mean we'll never be healthy, but that we already are. 
the baseline is our wholeness. Just at times, we have something that needs our attention. And it can be big and require attention for years, but we can commit to thinking and language around it that is more resourceful than thinking about limiting beliefs as blocks or the full spectrum of emotion as good or bad. Before we look at the astrology, I just wanted to point out how we use low vibe and high vibe effectively as a shorthand for good or bad, when their original meaning is to differentiate the emotions that belong closer to the material experience against those that are closer to the spiritual one. And I will come back to this topic because there's a lot more to be said about the way we pick up concepts from the overall worldview and where they come from and why misunderstanding them can easily create new concepts that are problematic. So, today at 5.53pm GMT will be the full moon in Leo. It is taking place at 5 degrees, so the moon is at a Leo degree of Leo, and the sun is in opposition in Aquarius. Jupiter, now direct, is in a square with them, and Mercury, Venus and Mars in Capricorn are also making some hard aspects with the placements currently in Aries. The earth and water placement that make up the rest of the chart are vibing, but it's, in my opinion, a very fiery start to the waning moon period. Since the new moon will be in Aquarius, we are still in the final quadrant of the wheel, which is the quadrant of maturity. It's covering the 10th, 11th and 12th house. It's focused on interpersonal and collective themes. And the signs of Capricorn, Aquarius and Pisces all have to do with our role in the grand scheme of things. And before we get there, we move from the full moon in the second to last of the individual houses, the third quadrant, which is where we begin to expand our horizons to our immediate sphere of influence. The themes of this waning moon can be quite philosophical, especially as we now have Pluto at a critical degree of Aquarius. And the next time it will be in a critical degree of Aquarius is in about 20 years when it hits my Imuncellum, which I hope is not going to be a death or something horrible, but just my hypothetical kid going to university and making me an empty nester. Anyway, I digress. I believe this is a really good time to look at what we need to shed for personal growth, including possibly the very need to be shedding something as per the topic of today's episode. Most of the aspects for these two weeks will be from the moon's transit, which gives the fortnight a very interior and emotional flavour. Of note for the other planets, aside from the Sun and Jupiter square that I already mentioned, we have Uranus stationing direct on the 27th and Mercury conjunct Mars later on the same day. They will be then squaring the nodes the next day. On February the 5th, Mercury will enter Aquarius, therefore transiting Pluto on the way in uh, 30 minutes. And the nodes are also getting some action from Venus and the Sun, which will square Uranus on the 8th as well. And the rest of the transits are mostly trines and set styles between the Earth and water signs, where we find the more slow-moving planets, so it's a pretty stable as far as the scenes that we covered before. And if you're new and haven't heard about it from me or anyone else, I have put a link to the astrology tab on my blog so you can find more about these bigger transits. Since we had a major planetary shift 
and it's a waning moon, so it fits with the themes of transformation, the question I took to the deck this week was in what areas of our life we may find the most potential for transformation, and so we should focus our attention on. For that question, I had the Eight of Swords. Then I asked what small first step we can take this fortnight to begin unraveling how this card show up for us, which gave me the six of ones. And finally, I asked what support is available for us as we take this step and pull the nine of cups. The sense I get from this pull overall is an idea that we have what we need within us, which is very resonant with the topic I just talked about today. The eighth in the tarot are a card of fast change. Though the Eight of Swords is often seen as a card of being stuck. But to me, the depiction, especially the way it is in my deck, which has a very Houdini vibe, is that being stuck is a matter of perception. And the deck I use, which is in the show notes, with an affiliate link if you want to support the podcast when you get it, is the Mystical Manga Tarot, uh, published by Llewellyn. Anyway, back to the spread. It isn't a particularly sexual card, but a rope bunny would see being tied up in a very different way from how I would look at it. And the woman in the card has the same level of serenity and presence in the moment as the hanged man in the measures. And that could be the surrender to what is of the Wu Wei philosophy of Taoism, or it could be trust in our ability of getting us out of the situation if we don't waste our mental energy on anxiety. And that's a theme to be found in the Sitsu ones, which is usually associated with the idea of victory. And without being a cliche, can speak into the manifestation mindset of it's already done. What action would we take if we were the person in the Eight of Swords and had unwavering confidence that our freedom is a given? The Sitzes are a problem-solving card and have this dualistic vibe, whether it's about parts of ourselves or a team of people working together for a common goal. While the card depicts the general topic's horse, we see the ones that deliver this victory and the banners that his army carries, which I noticed just now for the first time, it's a laurel crown, which is a victory symbol. Obviously, I knew it was about victory from studying the tarot for years, but now I know I could tell it is from just the imagery alone. How fun. Then the Nine of Cups used to be seen as the wish card, which again has this your dreams will come true vibe, basically asking us to trust in our ability to make things happen. The nines in the minors tend to have a last push kind of vibe. But if you think about it, they correspond to the hermit in the majors. And the hermit can be taken in various ways, some positive and some negative. But what interests me the most is how it sits between strength and the will of fortune, or temperance and the will of fortune, if you use the order from before the golden dawn. To me, it gives a vibe of you can only control what you can control, and then you have to surrender to what is, but at the same time, the fact we don't move from those cards of inner power directly into the will is significant. It's 
almost like we are being asked to tune out any influences from people external to us. They are not the kind of things beyond our control that we should surrender to. It's us and the laws governing reality, whatever your interpretation of that is. And as the ancient Romans would say in a number of variations, most commonly the one used by Virgil in DNA, fortune favours the bold. And far from being about boastful extroversion, true boldness is staying true to your individuality, come what may. So this is all for today. Until next time, keep living in wonder.